DLA Piper. This is the Beyond the Curve podcast. As jury trials resume in courthouses across the country, how will the experiences of the last year sway juror opinions? What will a post-pandemic trial look like? DLA Piper partners Lynn Pruitt, Buffy Mims, and Adria Conklin discuss. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Lynn Pruitt, and I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Buffy Mims and Adria Conklin. I'm a trial lawyer. I'm a partner at DLA Piper. I practice in the area of products liability and commercial litigation. Over the years, I've tried probably over 60 jury trials, so I have a keen interest in understanding juries and how they think. So I'm excited to be able to discuss these issues in light of everything that's happened over the last 18 months. I'm excited to talk to Buffy and Adria about their thoughts and experiences during this time. So Buffy, first I'll ask you to introduce yourself. Thank you, Lynn. My name is Buffy Mims. I am in the Washington, D.C. office. I am a partner in the litigation and regulatory sector and also co-chair of our toxic torts subsector. I am a trial attorney and I practice largely in the products liability toxic tort section. Let's see, Lynn. I think the events of the past, I'd say more than a year, 14 months or so, will have a great impact on jurors. All jurors are going to bring their personal views into the deliberation room with them. So when you view the events of the past year, I break it into four major buckets. One is the pandemic. Two are social issues. And I think included within the social issues that have impacted a number of us is racial injustice, access to health care, things like food insecurity. Third would be the economy. And fourth would be political divide that is going on in the country. So I think that the impact of each of those items will affect a juror's lens on which they view things from their perspective in the jury room and is greatly impact how they make their decisions. I want to ask Adria to introduce herself, tell us a little bit about her practice, and then give us your overall thoughts, Adria, of how you think the last year might impact jurors in our country. Sure. Thanks, Lynn. My name is Adria Conklin. I have been practicing law for nearly 20 years now. I cannot believe I'm saying that. I spent the first 10 years of my law practice in Houston, Texas, doing commercial litigation. And the last 10 years have been spent in Little Rock, Arkansas, primarily focusing on pharmaceutical and medical device litigation and some class action here and there. So we've seen a lot of juries, but this year, as Buffy said, presented a whole bunch of variables that I think we're all still trying to figure out. I think there's a lot of complexity. And Buffy, I liked how you went really broad. One of the things I think is interesting as we are hopefully nearing the end of one of the variables, the pandemic, is seeing individuals who have potentially been in what I'll call bubbles for the last year. People hunkered down. They only visited with certain people. They may have only gotten news or information from certain sites. And I think some of what's been lacking has been interacting with different people and different groups like you would on a normal basis and interacting in what I'll call normal society. So I'm curious to see if jurors 
over the last year have become maybe more polarized in their views and how coming out of the pandemic will impact that potential polarization, whether we're going to see people as they come back into society saying, oh, right, there's other groups of people and not everybody thinks the same way I do, or whether they're going to carry maybe a little more polarization forward. So that's one of the things that I was looking at as a result of the pandemic this year and all of the other things that food insecurity, the racial issues as well. So let's talk for just a minute about this issue of polarization. I'm interested for your thoughts, Buffy, on when we go back into the jury room, theoretically, we're asking in most cases for a unanimous verdict. And typically what we've seen over the years is that somehow juries manage to get to the end of that most times, not always, but most times, and come to a unanimous decision. There's a lot of negotiation, I'm certain. There's a lot of persuasion, attempts to change someone's mind over to their view and so on. Do you see the last, really, two to three years in our country having an effect on the deliberations that a jury might be going through when no one else is around after they've heard all the evidence? I would like to hear you speak about that. I think that's a difficult question because over the past year, we have had some virtual trials. And I have not done a virtual trial But from those who I have spoken to who have, the consensus has been that people feel free to speak up because it is in a virtual setting. People find their voices a lot easier. So is that going to change because of the events that have happened? That is very hard to say, Lynn. I think it will change to some extent. I do think people are speaking their voices more. They're allowing themselves to be heard. I think people are starting to feel more comfortable raising issues that would have otherwise been uncomfortable and finding their voices. So I think there will be a little bit of that. I do still think, though, when you get back into the jury room and you're not in a virtual setting, there are always going to be those jurors who rise to the top, who take control. It's a different setting to be in person than it is virtually. For those trials, and I know we may talk about this eventually, but there may be some trials that continue virtually, especially in the state court setting, especially in family court settings, where it makes it easier for people to have access to the courtroom, not to have to worry about childcare and other issues. But federal court, back in the deliberation room, there are still always going to be those people that are in the jury room that take control and that dominate. So that's always going to be there. So on this question of polarization, one of the things that I have worried about is when we do get back in person, that people seem to have squared off on a number of issues where they go all the way to one extreme or the other. And historically, what our jury system has done is put those people together in a room. I mean, hopefully, if the process works, you've gotten rid of the most extreme people, but not always. And then you come to some kind of a consensus after evaluating the evidence. And I'm wondering and watching, quite frankly, to see whether We have more mistrials and more situations where a jury is unable to reach a consensus 
because they're more emboldened. They feel like their position is right, which leads me into the next question, Adria, which is, do individuals that are going to be serving on juries in the future, are they going to be more emotional about their decisions or less? And how does whether they're emotional about their decisions play into their evaluation of the evidence in a jury trial? I think what we're going to see going forward, at least for a certain period of time, is you're going to have people who are more emotional than they were prior to the pandemic. And I think that how you will see that play out is typically when you've got jurors who are more emotional, they're going to default to their baseline. They're going to default to their implicit biases. They're going to default to what they think is true more strongly than they would otherwise. So I think you're going to have a harder time overcoming someone's baseline. Buffy, do you have anything to add about that and the fact of how people's emotions may play into their evaluation of the evidence as opposed to what they did before all of the unrest that we've seen the last two to three to four years? Well, I agree with Adria that that will all come into play in the jury room. I am a glass half full person. I think when you put however many people it's going to be, six, nine, 12 people in that jury room, even if they are coming from complete opposite ends of the political spectrum, how they view social issues, what their situation was in this past 14 months, people try and work together. They talk to each other. There is a bond that develops, which you can't get, I don't think, as much in the virtual setting. So these trials that we've had the past year, it's a different sort of bond that you get. And we all know this. We've all been doing Zooms for the past year. There is a difference between being in person and being virtual. So when you have these 12 people or however many it's going to be together day after day listening to the evidence not allowed to talk about it until the end of the trial. So up until that point, they're sitting in the jury room on breaks, they're seeing each other in the morning, and they're getting to know each other on a human level, and that's never going to change. And they will always develop those bonds. And it is much harder to be sitting across the table from someone in that deliberation room to take these completely hard polar opposite stances. So while I agree that those emotions are there, that some of it is still going to be raw and remain raw for a while, I think when you go back into that jury room, people will work together. Now, the type of verdicts we see, that's a different story, but I think people will work together ultimately. I think that's probably right, too. And my comment about more mistrials is that I'm watching. (laughs) Not that I necessarily think that it might happen, but I'm going to keep a close watch on that for that reason. Adria, you and I have discussed the psychological research that has been done on whether and how you can analyze the verdicts that have actually come out during the COVID time and whether it looks like there's a leaning more toward defense verdicts in civil trials or plaintiff's verdicts, or whether we can really tell at this point, at the end of the day, when we get through with all this discussion and we're a year from now, we may say things are always the same. We have the same things to do and obstacles to overcome as trial lawyers. But right now, I think you've looked at some of the comments about 
verdicts and how they're leaning. Will you just share for a moment what you've been reading about that? Sure. During COVID trials, there was a reduction of maybe 15 to 16 percent in terms of verdicts. And there may be a number of reasons, but one reason in particular is you had jurors who were willing to serve and who were not afraid of contracting COVID tended to bring the amount of the verdict down a little bit. I think that's the hypothesis. And I think the counter to that is typically what you might view as a plaintiff's juror would be more concerned about coming in, would not want to be exposed, might be more willing to tell the court, I'm not willing to serve, I'm afraid of contracting COVID. So I think it's been interesting to see whether that would hold true going forward as people get more comfortable as we've got more people vaccinated. I'm not sure that will hold true going forward, but I thought that was an interesting data point for COVID trials. I'm interested to get both of your thoughts about the debates over COVID, the vaccine, the CDC, the National Institutes of Health, and all of those issues. If it's going to affect the way jurors view and trust the experts. In most of the cases we try, we have expert witnesses in fairly technical areas explaining the science to the jury. I'd like to hear your thoughts, Buffy, on how you think that might impact jurors' willingness to accept that testimony and those opinions. Well, hopefully it's long-lasting, this Fauci effect that we have heard about, (laughs) right? Trusting the doctors, trusting what they were saying about COVID-19. And hopefully that will last. I do think it'll bleed in a little bit. We did learn over the past year how important science is, how important the studies are. There have been lots of surveys that have been done on views towards companies and pharmaceutical companies in particular during this time period. And some of that is positive. So my answer to that would be, hopefully that will last. I think it is there now. To me, that question is, how long will it last? How long will it still get into the jury room? How important it is to listen to the scientists, to listen to the experts and not rely on anything outside of the evidence that you're presented at trial. I think that's right. I don't want to age myself, but 10 years ago, people were listening to the experts and were listening to the science. Then we saw trends and trending where individuals were not so much anymore. Listening to science, they were crossing out or letting the experts cross one another out and reverting back to some of their personal beliefs about science or medicine or those issues. So I hope we do see a return to people that are actually going to look at the scientific witnesses and the testimony and evaluate both sides and see which of the sides they think is more credible and has more support in the science, because I do think We're long overdue to go back to that. So it will be interesting to see how long that lasts. Adrienne, do you have any other comments or thoughts about how this might impact the way jurors process medical and scientific evidence? I also wonder if it's not going to be a little more geographically specific as to how this impacts, because I think you have one population in D.C., and I think you have maybe a slightly different population in, say, Little Rock, Arkansas. 
And I just think it might play out a little bit differently in a state or a city that has slightly different politics. Well, I definitely agree with that, Adria. I mean, it's always geographical, right? It is. That's the first thing we do when we're looking at our jury is seeing where the jury is pulling from, finding out about that area if you're not familiar with it. So, yes, I definitely Mm -hmm. agree with that. So I want to talk for just a few moments as we wind down our time here about implicit bias. And I know, Buffy, you've done a lot of research on this issue and have a lot of information. And Implicit bias has always existed. People haven't talked about it, and it hasn't been defined. So I think we've probably made great strides in the fact that people are now speaking about it, and there are definitions for it and explanations for what it really means. And I think there's greater understanding of the fact that we all have it (laughs) and that it's not horrible if you have it. Everyone has it. If we can recognize in ourselves that we have it, and how to deal with it, and particularly in the context of a jury trial. If we can figure out a way to have our jurors recognize that they all have it, we all have it, and be able to at least consciously bring it to the forefront such that when they're processing evidence, that they can potentially ask themselves, am I viewing this person in this way because they're not like me? They don't look like me. They're not in my economic status. They talk different. They look different. Can we use this time to bring these issues to the forefront and actually help jurors understand that they have it and how they possibly can deal with it in trying to assess the evidence fairly? And I know that's a tall order to ask people to do, but I'd like to hear your thoughts about that, Buffy. Lynn, I think you're asking for a tall order there. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start by saying this. Implicit bias comes in. I agree with you. We all have it. But it comes in at every step of the process in a jury trial. It does. From the time your juror walks into the room and sits down in the courtroom, people on either side, they start having their implicit biases. There are implicit biases towards the attorneys, towards the judge, when it comes to the witnesses. So how you weed out implicit bias throughout a jury trial at every step of the way is almost impossible. So you've got to do what you can. I think a good start, which you and I have talked about, is to give an instruction on it and to have the judge give the instruction it's going to be difficult. I think we've got to start. And I do think the best way to start with that is to have the judge do it. And that's something that you had mentioned to me that you've thought about. And I think it's a great idea is to have it done by the judge and not one of the attorneys. Right. So it's a start, but I think it's something that we all have to continue to work on and raise awareness about every day. I'm hopeful, though, that now that we are talking about it, Although you can never get rid of it, clearly, you can't get rid of it. It's there. If you're able to discuss it, if the judge gives an instruction that explains to the jury what it is, why they need to set aside their biases and look at the evidence that comes into the courtroom, with some people, I feel like you would bring it to a conscious level and at least have a chance to convince some of those jurors that I need to 
decide, am I being fair to all parties here? Am I giving the corporation the benefit of a doubt like I would the individual? Am I looking at this person who was raised in a different part of the country and that speaks differently than me or that came from another country and not the United States? Am I treating them in the same way and looking at this case in the same way for both sides? I am a little naive after 37 years of practicing law to think that we could reach some of those people, not change their bias, but at least have them be aware that potentially they need to be more open-minded and look at the evidence. And some people, I think, could say, I'm seeing this through a lens because of my experience. I need to set that aside. And when I set that aside, this is how I view the evidence. I know that all the jury consultants will tell you that people can't do that. There's no way they can do it. I get that. But I do think there's a better chance of having people do it if you're speaking about it and acknowledging it and asking the jurors to recognize it and try to put it aside when they go back and make a decision about the case. You're both looking at me. I know you're thinking, (laughs) does she really think that? And the answer is, I really kind of do. No, but Lynn, I've already said I am very optimistic and I believe in juries. I believe that most juries, when they go back there, they really work hard to try and come to the right decision. So I agree. The more that awareness is raised, the more that it is discussed, There's the hope that we can put a number of those biases that are coming to the surface aside and make decisions not based on any biases, but just on the evidence that's put before them. So I definitely agree with you. So I want to wrap up here and ask you, I haven't prepared either one of my colleagues for this, so they may have to think about it for just a moment, but not just from a lawyer's perspective, but also just overall with what you do and how you interact with your colleagues and so forth. What has surprised you most about this whole COVID situation and the social injustice issues that we've seen arise in the last years? What has surprised you most, both in the time of these remote trials and then as these in-person proceedings have begun to pick back up again? Just your thoughts on that, Adria? I'm going to answer it not necessarily from a legal context, if that's okay, but more from a just personal experience on this one. What has surprised me, and this weaves in the politics and COVID and just a little bit of a microcosm of a population I live in, but I have been surprised on a board that I work with very closely together how polarized the board became in the times when we couldn't socialize outside of our work. Our board came together after things started to open up and went out and had drinks and everybody talked about the past year and talked about how polarized we'd been and talked about our perspectives, which are drastically different in a lot of ways. And we could talk about them face to face and there was none of the anger or frustration that we had seen over the last year. Buffy, maybe this plays into your hopefulness, because to me, that's a very hopeful development that I've seen. And it surprised me at how easy it was coming out of a year of what's frustration and not being able to visit with someone that you work with on a person-to-person basis and talk about politics, but everything else, too. 
So that to me surprised me at how easy it was to come back and say, okay, now we've put this behind us and we can move on. So that would be something that's surprised me. It's not exactly legal, but maybe it's close enough. Well, I think it plays into what Buffy said earlier mm-hmm. about going back to in-person jury trials, because yeah. if you come in and wait on each other to serve on a jury every morning and people take turns bringing donuts and you have breaks and you have lunch together and you talk about your family because you're not allowed to talk about the case. So you talk about your family, your kids, sports, current events, you get to know one another after two weeks. And I think what you just described is the same phenomenon that Buffy referred to earlier, which mm-hmm. is you can get together on a lot of things if you have a connection, as opposed to not having any connection to other people that you're conversing with and making a decision with. So I may be in the minority, and I'm not trying to clog up the justice system any more than it already is, but I am definitely not a believer in virtual jury trials. I mean, I will do them because justice must move on, but I think there's a lot of truth in that human element that both of you have talked about. Buffy, what has surprised you the most? What has surprised me the most is the extent to which we all really live in our own bubbles. And I'm not saying that I didn't realize that before, but I think the events over the past year and a half have really brought this stark reality to the forefront of what a different impact this past year has had on people. To me, to hear about folks or see them on TV, folks waiting in lines to get food, so many people losing their jobs on the one hand, and on the other hand, know that there are a number of people prospering. To me, it's surprising how much this past year had a different impact on various groups of people. So that's my initial reaction to that question, and that isn't exactly legal. But my second part of the answer to that question is the ease to which, at least in our profession and in the court system, everyone reverted to virtual. If you had asked me a year ago, a year and a half ago, that there would have been so many virtual jury trials and virtual hearings and that life was going to change in that way, I don't know that I would have believed someone if they told me that in Texas state courts were going to do hundreds and hundreds of virtual jury trials. That to me is unbelievable, the ease at which that has happened. And people have accepted it, at least a lot more so in state courts than in federal courts. And I do think that that is going to continue. We'll see how that's going to play out in federal courts. But I do think at least in federal courts, you are going to see more arguments and certainly status hearings and things like that. We're going to see a lot more of that virtually. But that's been a big shock to me, the ease at which everyone transitioned and even juries. I agree with you. If you had told me that we were all going to be able to do that, I would never have believed it. And in many instances, it is an improvement, assuming you have a scheduling hearing or 
certain types of proceedings, I think they will continue. I think the judges now, with this new trend, many of them are intrigued with it. So I do think we'll see a lot of it continue. It seems to me that one of the things we know about where we're going in the future with these topics and these issues with regard to jury trials and jurors is that there still is a lot of uncertainty as to how everything we've been through for the past 18 months is actually going to play out, how it's actually going to impact our clients, the presentation of evidence, the way jurors view evidence, and the way they deliberate. I believe, like Buffy, in our jury system. And this country, because it is very strong and one of the pillars of the strength, is calling together peers to make a determination about people's interest in the jury system. And I want to think that we are all going to be better off for having gone through these struggles and come out on the other end with our system intact, stronger than ever. And I really appreciate Buffy and Adria, you taking the time this afternoon to have this discussion with me, and I hope it's provided some useful information. I think the message to draw from this is stay tuned. There will be lots of analysis and lots of thoughts in the next year and a half that go into all the trials that will be had in the next coming few years. So we'll get to talk again about it. So I want to thank both of you for your time and thank the audience as well. I hope you found this interesting. All information, content, and materials contained in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. This podcast is intended to be a general overview of the subjects discussed and does not create a lawyer-client relationship. Statements and opinions are those of the individual speakers and participants and do not necessarily reflect the policies or opinions of DLA Piper LLP US. The information contained in this podcast is not and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice. No listener should act or refrain from acting with respect to any particular legal matter on the basis of this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel and the relevant jurisdiction. This podcast may qualify as lawyer advertising, requiring notice in some jurisdictions. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. DLA Piper LLP US accepts no responsibility for any actions taken or not taken as a result of this podcast. Thank you.